Okay. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. The presence of the Lord, He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. This looks weird. <laughs> well, two things look weird. One, like the chairs, I wouldn't quite, I'm still not used to this, it's only week two, but two, like there's people. <laughs> all right, I'll get over it. Let's see. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with, one, with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Let's pray. Lord, the great work that you have done is part of the great work you are still doing. That as your people, filled with your spirit, we are able to work in your kingdom. You have not forgotten, you have not forsaken, and though this world is not our friend most of the time, we can rejoice that we are secure in you, that we have a hope and a future bound in Christ, in your kingdom, before your throne, where we are safe, and there will be no harm and nothing to fear. Lord, strengthen us to continue the work as we build towards that day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in His holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise his name. He is the Lord, forever his truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. Well, good morning. Good morning. 
That's the only part of this. It's like I gotta go all the way around now. It's like, meh. Alright, um, just for my peace of mind, how many of you actually got a letter from me this week? Okay, so most of you. Just, the, just, just the, <laughs> I apologize that it was a short novel. I wrote, I, the plan was about a page and a half. When I was done, I felt like I had given birth, and Cameron came over and I said, do me a favor, read this. And she goes, four pages? Said, just read it and tell me what should come out. And she read it and goes, well, if you want to explain everything, then there's really nothing to come out. So I apologize for de destroying a small forest to send that to you, but I wanted to make sure you understood the rationale for what we were doing and how we were going to try to do it. So I have a tendency to talk in circles, if you haven't noticed. Um, I haven't gotten new, updated, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just ran right out of my head. Financial information. So... When I get that, I will get it posted. My goal is that, as, as I said last week, our goal is going to be to probably have a church council meeting in June to try to put everything back together where we are and where we've been and what we're trying to do the rest of the year with a goal of having a full business meeting again, hopefully in July. But my goal is since we haven't really had any good reporting in the last two months of any information, as soon as I get that information, we'll get it posted, get it sent out to you guys. So let you guys know as much as possible about what's going on. And as soon as we get plans, we'll get them sent out to you. Make sense? Hopefully in less than four pages. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there were even footnotes, though. Come on now. Yeah, I mean, they're all professional. Like, I almost know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. So let's see. Who said, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter? <laughs> Herod's stepdaughter. So that's only half the answer because I said I, said I wanted an answer. I want, the, I want the answer and then I want the reason. So yeah, Herodias's daughter is who said it, and she was encouraged by her mother who would be. Yeah, catch that. It's like, who's, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Grant. So Herodias's daughter, her mother's name is Herodias. <laughs> so yes, you have the real reason and the right reason, I guess. So the real re the uh, the reason is that the daughter asked. I guess the actual cause, though, is Herodias herself trying to get vengeance. And if you want to have some good fun, actually go look that up and read, and you'll see. The reason why John was even arrested is because he had the audacity to say, you know, you probably shouldn't marry your brother's wife. You know, there's, 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 there's laws and things against that sort of behavior. You probably shouldn't have done that. You, she, she shouldn't be divorcing him to get with you and the whole nine yards. So, it's Just think of it like English royalty in the Middle Ages. Everybody, it's, it, Everyone's related, and it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if you're German or you're French or you're English. You're all from the same family. And if you don't believe me, you can trace through royal history in Europe up until really, I think still, because, I mean, the, the English monarchy now is a German family. And that goes back into... You, if you really get back down to it, you don't see the end. Of, this is a bizarre world history conversation. You don't see the end of the family strife until World War One. World War One is really the last great uh, regal war of Europe, where ruling families are controlling the peasants for their own benefit. Depending on how you view the world, you could argue it actually hasn't stopped. So, yeah, nothing new under the sun. The same thing there. Same thing going on here. So. Here's the fun one. Don't, 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 I have to remind you guys this now because there's more of you here. Don't say it out loud. Yeah. Which judge of Israel made up riddles? 
I even made the question more specific than it was on my little card to make sure. So you know a book to look it up in, right? If you're a judge of Israel, which book are we looking you up in? The book of Judges. So have some fun. Again, the reason for the question. Dun, 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 dun. Do some research because I don't, I'm not going to just care if you get the answer next week. We actually want to know why this guy is so interesting. And I just gave away part of it because I know it's a, it's a long, long, long list there of possibilities. Hey, this is where music is so good for you. Because of a children's song, I can actually tell you who all the judges are. <laughs> <laughs> that's because they put it to a song, and you're like, that's never going to work. Dag, nab it. Now I memorize it, and it works. So learn children's songs. It'll do you good. Yep. All right. Anything else that I'm forgetting? Something else that I should be telling everyone since we're all in one room together for the first time in ages? It is good to see you guys. I know some of you have been like, I've been here the whole time. I don't know what your problem is. What's hysterical is we actually have all these people here, and then a handful of the folks that have been here the whole time are not here. Like Daryl and Ginger on a bike ride. Vern's probably in a field somewhere, but they've been here just about every Sunday. And now that everybody else is here, they're somewhere else. So works out that way. It is fun. I will say this also. Just be careful. Just simply because if you haven't noticed this week, our world has completely lost its mind. Amen. I mean, and I, we, you and I were just having this conversation this morning. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday and the day before yesterday. Whenever, I'm, whenever we talk about worldview and why we're not surprised that the world is acting like they're acting, the stuff you're seeing in the news this week is what we're talking about. The worldview of the unbeliever does not have a mechanism by which justice, righteousness, and peace may be established. They, they do not have it. It is not possible in a secular worldview. Therefore, when they are confronted with unrighteousness and injustice, they have no means of addressing it. And when they are trying to bring about peace, they do not actually have a method that will produce it. One of the videos I actually saw this morning was a, um, a, th- a 31-year-old man, and the reason I know he's 31 is because it's part of the discussion, arguing with a 46-year-old rioter because the 46-year-old was working with a 16-year-old. And his point was, you're 46 and you're mad. I'm 31 and I'm mad. He's 16 and he's mad. There's got to be a better way to do this because what we're doing <laughs> isn't working. And the problem is in a secular world, but now we can look at that and say what? You're absolutely right. From their worldview, they have no other means. This is when a Christian biblical worldview must enter in because we can tell you, yes, there is a place where there is justice. There is a place where there is righteousness done. There is a place where peace can reign, but it is not a kingdom of this world. It is a kingdom ruled by Christ because of the grace that he has displayed, because of the mercy that has been poured out on us. And that's the worldview that they do not have. So whenever we're talking about how to think through things, it's so that when we confront this insanity of our world, we can confront it from a biblical worldview and lens, not one that just borrows from them and and spits it out as we go. Anything else? In that case, I'm going to stop speaking. There we go, talking, speaking, one of those things, so we can stand and sing. When upon the clouds of heaven Christ shall come to earth again Will the world be glad to see Him When our Lord shall come again They'll be singing 
there'll be shouting, there'll be shouting, there'll be sorrow, there'll be pain, there'll be weeping, there'll be praying, there'll be praying when our Lord shall come again. Will his coming bring rejoicing, or will it bring? Here's the pain. Are you ready to receive him when our Lord shall come again? They'll be singing. They'll be singing. They'll be shouting. They'll be shouting. There'll be sorrow. There'll be pain. They'll be weeping. They'll be weeping. They'll be praying. There'll be praying when our Lord shall come again. Will you join in lamentation or the angels glad refrain? Will you help his people crown him when our Lord shall come again? They'll be singing, they'll be, singing. They'll, be shouting. they'll be shouting, they'll be sorrow, they'll be pain, they'll be weeping, they'll be, weeping. They'll be, praying. They'll be praying, when our Lord shall come again. Work and pray till Jesus calls you. Help to gather in the grave. Then with joy you'll meet the Savior. When our Lord shall come again. They'll be singing. They'll be singing. They'll be shouting. They'll be shouting. They'll be sorrow. They'll be pain. They'll be weeping, they'll be weeping, they'll be praying, they'll be praying when our Lord shall come again. When our Lord shall come again. My name's Olivia, if you don't know me. Hi. My grandparents are Mike and Jan. I haven't come here in a really long time. It's been a while, but I came, and it's kind of last minute. I'm sorry. I haven't sang anyone in front of anyone for a while because, you know, we've been stuck at home for the past couple months. But um, two. Yeah, it's been a long time. So it's been a while since I've publicly spoken or publicly sang, but I was asked to sing today. So I guess asking you shall receive. But so this time has been very difficult for everybody, and it's been hard to keep faith, and it's been hard to stay positive. But if there's one thing I've learned throughout this entire thing, it's that positivity and faith are very powerful forces. And when you use them as a tool in your life, you will achieve great things, even though 
doesn't seem like you will. That's kind of where I know me personally I'm at right now with graduation and all of that. But one song I know that's really helped me out throughout this time is How Great Thou Art. I hadn't sang this song in a while, but I know at my other church we were going to sing this. And it's just a song that really touches me. So. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all thy worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. I see those. Oh, one moment, sorry. And when I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and lead me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow with humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. How great thou art, how great thou art. Thanks.
Oh, why not? Let's see. Yes, Carolyn, you what? thing as a a new normal <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way it never has it never will the, the main lesson we, we maybe have joked about this for the last few months but I think one of the big takeaways and lessons was how many things we probably took for granted and things that we could do that we don't do like I mean we, we joked about the toilet paper runs at the stores when this happened but it did make me wonder what, well, where, what were people using for toilet paper before if they <laughs> say, something's going on, we need more soap, paper towels, and toilet paper. Well, what were you cleaning with before? Apparently. <laughs> or, you know, the number of places, you know, like when Walmart announces, well, we're going to institute a nightly cleaning of the building. You, 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 we all kind of thought you were just doing that already, <laughs> you know. So there, there are a lot of things in life that we have probably taken for granted that sh we shouldn't have. And a lot of, a lot of future in our life that we have taken for granted that we probably shouldn't have, and that that's where something like this can be a blessing for the people of God, because it is an opportunity to think, to dwell on the things of Christ, and to re and to realize where our security is actually located, because too often our temptation is to just blindly walk through this world because it's it's easy. This is, this is where we live, day in and day out. This is what bombards us. And the hard work of discipleship is to actually turn away from that and, and to lean into a biblical worldview and to try to function in a way that is godly day in and day out and to actually be sanctified and grow in that. And this is one of those times that we get to be purified from that and be like, you know, this place can be taken away kind of like that. The way of life that we love, the things that we do day in and day out can just... They can just go away. And where is your security? Where is your life really built? These are the things that we have to be evaluating. And it shouldn't take something like this to get the people of God to do it, but more often than not, it does. So before I say anything else useless, let's do the most important thing we could do, and let's pray for them. So let's pray. Lord, you have not forgotten, you have not forsaken, but you have allowed a, a great tragedy to befall this world. And while we grow and while we learn through it, we still pray that you would move, that you would heal, that you would restore to strength, to hope, and to mind those that have been brought low, not just physically, Lord, but mentally and emotionally. There are, there are people that are hurting. There are people that are sick. There are people that have been lost. And while nothing is truly lost apart from, well, unless they are apart from you, we pray that your great gospel would spread that the hope in Christ would be proclaimed and that those who know you would be strengthened and that those who don't would turn to you in trust, that they would be uplifted, that your great name would be praised, that your kingdom would be built. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, something that we planned on for today. First Thessalonians chapter five. Dun, da, da, da. 
We are on the, uh, the downhill stretch here of this book. There were no pitchforks and torches last week. I was, I was happy about that. If you, um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can uh, go on YouTube or something else and uh, find through Facebook last week's sermon, and then you can bring pitchforks and torches next week. I, I, I'm still feeling pretty spry. I think I can outrun most of you, so I can take my chances. No. Yeah. There was, there was none of that, but there was one question. We did get a question asked, and this is why I love working through books. Because when we finished the section last week, there was a question. Guess where it gets answered? In the section we covered this week. So, you know who you are. You ask the question, it shall be answered. Now, reminders, Paul is comforting a faithful church that has persevered in the face of persecution. He is comforting them both with what has befallen them in the past and what God has done, and also with a comfort of what God will do in the future. Now, the reminder, how many of his people will God forget? None of them. Therefore, we do not have to worry. Paul is comforting them with that, but we are also being reminded that there is still something else that we were looking for. So, with that in mind, we want to see the why of what is going on in the passage this week. We want to see the joy of God's work, and at the end of this, if we've done everything correctly, cross your fingers, there will be praise of God in Christ for all that he has done and will do. Sound like a good plan? All right. In that case, the first 11 verses of chapter 5 of the book of First Thessalonians. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anyone, of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. They will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining a salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. All right, just going to go right into this, right back to the beginning. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. He's talking about the when. So, like, if someone comes up to you and goes, hey, 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 Jesus is coming back on Tuesday. Call the men with the big nets and the nice coats that's with the buckles in the back, okay? I mean, throughout human history, there have been groups of people who have done this, and you know what they have all been? All of them have been wrong. All of them. Not some of them. All of them. What, what was the book? It was, um, oh, what was it? it was like, no, no, not, not that one. The, the other fun one. It was like 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988. And since it's 2020, how did that go? Well, you know what happened the very next year, right? They literally released a book, 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. <sighs> it doesn't work. It never works. It can't work. You do not need anyone to be written because it's not our job or concern. Second Peter 3. Now, 
Um, reminder, where did I put it? Reminder. On your bulletin is the little outline so you can figure this out and follow along as we go. You can check them later. The reason that is there, especially today, there are a lot of cross-references that we're using that we're going to build on. So pay attention to these as we go. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. That is not a math equation. That is a pointing out that the way we see time and the way God sees time are two different things. So for you, you've, like, you've had those, like where you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you're like, man, it is bedtime already. Was the day short? No, it was the same amount of time, but you experienced it differently. Conversely, when I talk to you about a thousand years, that is an unfathomable amount of time. We, we cannot comprehend what that time frame is like. We can see it written down, but to actually process it and see it out doesn't make any sense to us. For God, the way we experience one quick day when we're busy is how God experiences a thousand years. It, it just doesn't matter. That's what he's getting at. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, this isn't our problem. Trying to figure out, well, when's Jesus coming back? Is it Tuesday? Is it Thursday? Is it going to be on a Friday? Is it going to be in the morning? Will I have time to get my hair done? Not our concern. Our concern is what? Why has God delayed? Because he is still building a kingdom. That kingdom is not complete. How do I know that kingdom is not complete? Because we're still here. Now, the same thing goes for your individual life. You've heard me say this before. We're going to say it again. God has work for you to do in his kingdom. How do I know that? You're still here. If you were done and God was done with you here, you know where you wouldn't be? Here. You, bye. It was nice knowing you. Have, it, was, it, was a, it was a pleasure. You're here. We're here. The church is here. The world is still here. Therefore, you, us, and everybody else still has kingdom-building work to be done. Our job is to do what? To do that work until the end and worry about the end when the end comes. So, you don't need to be told anything. Verse 2, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. If you know the totality of your Bible, this is one of those duh verses. You know, like, duh, and all God's people said, duh. Why do I say that? We're going to rewind to 2 Peter chapter 3 again, this time verse 10. We're going to pick it up. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and all its works will be burned up. It's not just Peter. We also have this in Revelation chapter 3 as well. Remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent means turn. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what the hour I will come to you. This is important. How many of you have ever had something stolen from you? How many of you had the thief come up and go, hey, on Thursday at 2.45, I'm taking that? Why don't they do that? Because at 2.45 on Thursday, you'd be standing there guarding it, going, huh? There you go. I mean, thieves don't announce when they're going to do things because then you would stop them. This, this is the analogy. Jesus is not announcing it because this is the, and this is believe it or not a mercy because the lie we tell ourselves, man, if I just knew when Jesus would come back, do you know how much differently I would live? 
Like, if I knew he was coming back tomorrow, do you know how much different today would look for me? And, and see, but that's the problem. What should every day look like? Like it's that one. Like it's the one that Jesus returns. Be, be the, so that when the master returns, he finds you faithful. See, we shouldn't need to know in order to do that. If you Now, here's the other part of this. If you knew, you know what lie you would tell yourself. Well, I'm good until like two days before, and then that's when I'll really get serious about these things because, you know, you know, it's, it's like cramming for an exam in high school. It's like, you know, I'll study for this one. I absolutely positively have to. Well, no, what should you be doing? You should be living your life prepared day in and day out. Now, catch what we've done here. We're in First Thessalonians written by, who's our author? Paul is our author. We quoted from Second Peter 3. Who is our author? Peter, Second. Peter 3, Peter. We've quoted from Revelation 3, who is our author? John. So we have three different apostles, but we have what teaching? How many teachings? Same idea. How does that work itself out? Where did they come up with this? Matthew chapter 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But on that day, of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Luke 17. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Now, two things. One, remember, this is a consistent thing. Why do they make such a big deal about nobody knows? Well, because when John and Paul and Peter are quoting Jesus, there reaches a point where it's like, how big of a mountain do we have to bring, build before we just knock it over on you and you follow along? So that's our first thing. Second, we always take an exit ramp if it involves an apologetics issue, okay? Always. We, we do not forsake an apologetic exit ramp, and this is one of them, believe it or not. Um, apologetics, if you have no idea what I just said, the defending of the faith. Because if there is a place in Scripture that we want to utilize to explain something in the unbelieving world, is going to go, I, did, 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 did. I have questions. What we want to be able to do is say, I have answers. So anything about those two verses out of the Gospels jump out at you? Like anything at all? Well, there's that, but there's something even worse that the secular world will use. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. See, here's how it's given to you. Jesus doesn't know, so he couldn't tell the apostles, so the apostles didn't know, and since there was something that Jesus knows, then Jesus isn't God. See, look, and now the whole Bible's a fraud, and I can go live however I want. Woo, go team! <sighs> I know, every once in a while I annoy myself sad. All right. No, no, that's bad history channel theology. We want to ball it up and punt it out the window. Did Jesus in his earthly ministry, notice the caveats, know the day or the hour? No, he didn't. How do I know that? Because that's what the man said. Now, does that mean Jesus is not God in flesh? No. We have 
it's gotten a dirty word because there's a group of Christians that have, well, I'm going to say Christians, that have contorted the doctrine. But the, uh, the word in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2 is to empty or to give up. So uh, Christ did not seek equality with God, but emptied himself. It's uh, Philippians chapter 2. And the word that's used is kenosis. And they've created this whole doctrine that's a real pain to deal with because it goes in areas that we don't want to deal with. But there is a kenotic work of Christ. He does give something up in the incarnation. And what he gives up is at times the independent function of his deity. So what I mean by that is think about the temptation. When Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan comes to him and says, make those stones become bread. Could Jesus snap his fingers and those stones become bread? Yes. Why could that have been the case? Because he's God in flesh. Fully God, fully man. It's called the hypostatic union. No, I can't explain it. Because <laughs> nobody can. And if we tried, we're going to go 17 circles and we're going to have to write a book when we're done. Jesus has the authority to make those stones into bread. Why did he not do it? Because he is living life as a man. So when you are hungry, are you you when you're hungry? No, we literally make commercials about this, right? No, you're not you when you're hungry. Have a Snickers. It sounds silly, but when are you most easily annoyed, aggravated, and prone to dumb decisions? When you're hungry. Well, the man's been fasting for weeks, 40 days, 40 nights. How hungry is he? I'm hungry. See, that's, it's a good southern thing. You're no longer hungry. You're hungry. You're hungry. As you're so hungry, the vowel has changed. You are not thinking clearly. You are prone to make bad decisions. What is Jesus doing? Is he trusting in his flesh? Is he trusting in his earthly desires? Or is he leaning on the plan that God has laid down from eternity? See, the temptation is a real temptation because Jesus, you in that situation, do not have the power to make the stones become bread. Jesus did. He could have been like, bam, we have biscuits. And we'd have been good. Exactly. He'd be cheating. It's like a cheat code on a video game. It doesn't work that way. See, that's not a temptation for you. For Christ, it's an actual temptation. So what he's doing is he's temporarily giving up the independent function of his deity so that he is not exercising that power that he rightfully has. He is not exercising the authority that he rightfully has. He is leaning on the plan of the Father, the provision of the Spirit, and he is living a faithful, trusting life. What are you called to do? Lean into the power of the Father, the plan of the Father, through the powering of the Spirit, and live a faithful life. That's why this matters. Jesus doesn't know because if you asked him and he knew, what would he probably do? He would tell you. <laughs> See, the, the seven-year-old gets it. And if you pressed him long enough, Jesus would probably tell you. And then what would happen? How would we live? We'd live for that day rather than living for every day. So in the wisdom of God, we do not deal with that then. So does Christ right now know when he's coming back? Yes. And it's marked in his calendar, big red circle. He knows when it's coming. You just don't. The lack of Jesus working as God in the human realm does not change the fact that he is God in flesh. We did this when we went through the Gospel of John. What did we do every five minutes? And by the way, this is another area where Jesus is claiming and proving that he is God. So just because he doesn't do it every time does not mean that he is incapable of doing it. So, all right, off the apologetic ramp, back onto the interstate, verse 3. While they were saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, 
catch our context. What are we talking about? What big event are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus coming back. When he returns, what will happen? Judgment. See, I like one word better than two. Well, technically three. But we have judgment coming. Now, this is where we piggyback on last week's idea, where nobody got mad at me, but a couple people did have questions that we're getting ready to answer. (laughs) The big thing last week was at the end of chapter 4, talking about people being caught up with Jesus in the air. And what I pointed out was that I cannot, I just can't, and if you can, God bless you, have a blast, but I cannot square with Scripture the idea that Jesus comes back and removes the church and then things get really bad. Because my first thought is, man, there's worse than this? That's my first thought. Second, the idea that you would remove the church and then the world would face the greatest calamity it has ever faced does not square with Scripture because what are Christians constantly told to do in Scripture in the face of calamity? persevere, bear up, comfort one another, preach the gospel, proclaim the truth. If you are going to remove us at the world's greatest hour of need, what's the reason for all the commands? And I challenge with that because part of the temptation of I'm getting out of here before it gets really bad is when it starts getting bad, we withdraw. We should rejoice in those sufferings, and not only should we not be withdrawing, but we should be what? Moving in. This is why throughout church history, When there has been calamity, you know who the first people running in the direction of the disaster are? It's Christians. When, again, if you didn't Google it last week, Google it this week. 1347 to 1351, the Black Death in Europe. I mean, millions of people dying. People fleeing the cities because they didn't know how it was spread. Turns out it was fleas on the rats. And since nobody was really that clean, guess where else the fleas were? Everywhere. As people are fleeing the cities, do you know who was staying, building hospitals, caring for the sick, getting sick and dying themselves? It was Christians. This is what we have done and what we do. So the reason I hearken back to that is because this chapter 5, this is going to blow your mind, I know. Chapter 5 builds on chapter 4. So we have the same idea going forward. So we have the idea of being caught up in the air, but that is because Christ is returning. But when he returns, how does he return? He returns in judgment. Uh, go back to Acts 1 and ca- catch in mind how the return will go. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. I, I always like to imagine this, like you know, all the disciples are standing there looking up, and then the angels show up and look at the disciples, look at the sky, and look at the disciples. Like, what you looking at? <laughs> Anyway, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go. So this idea that Paul is talking about being caught up with him in the clouds is because how is Jesus returning? From the direction, the same idea. When is he returning? This is the key thing. I think Jesus is returning at the end. The the, the end end, not like the end and then there's the... Like, you know when you go to a concert and they finish and then they leave the stage? Do you get up and leave? No, because now the good part of the show is coming, right? They, they, now comes the encore where all the songs that we've known for 20 years that they haven't sung yet is when they're going to come out and do them. Or when you go watch a Marvel movie and the credits roll, right? What do you do? You'd be like, you don't leave in the middle of the credits. Why? Because they're going to make 17 more movies and they're going to tell you about those 17 more movies at the end of the credits. I think it's a scam just to get you to sit there through 15 minutes of CGI credits. But anyway... 
No. Jesus is returning at the end end. So rewind to chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. This is the beginning of judgment. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, go to the website. You can pull up last week's bulletin and check the cross-references. Um, Old Testament, when God's talking about the shout, he's talking about the appearance of God. He's talking about the, in 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 the oh my goodness, the inauguration of the kingdom. The trumpet blast signals the arrival of the king, the arrival of God. So when we're talking about chapter 4, God will descend with a shout and with the blast of the trumpet, because we're done here. That's, that's it. Then the judgment begins. Now, this is where we answer the question that was asked last week. Because somebody goes, well, what about those verses where there's like two people and one of them is gone? Matthew 24. The Son of Man, I'm sorry, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. This is not rereading the same thing. I read the part out of Luke. This is out of Matthew. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. When Jesus is returning in judgment, do his people face judgment? No. So this is why the coming and being caught up together with him in the clouds. How is Jesus returning? From the clouds. He is returning to judge. So what is he going to do? His people are pulled away from judgment. God returns to judge. That's why you have two taken, two there, one taken, one left. The one who's taken isn't going to face the judgment when Christ returns. You're on the other side. Go to the end of the book of Revelation. What do you have? When Christ returns, the what's the oh, I've touched the end of chapter nineteen, right? It's it's the the shining hair and the eyes and the sword and the mouth and the the sash and the whole bit, right? What do you have? The armies of the world assembled against the armies of heaven. Who makes up the armies of heaven? It's the angels, yes, but it's also who stands on that side? His people. How long does that fight take? It's like, and he speaks, and they're all dead. And you're like, well, most anticlimactic big moment in all of history. Like, this is why we don't make this movie, because we'd, we'd assemble all these massive armies, Lord of the Rings style, and then it'd be like, all right, we're done here. You made me watch nine hours of movie for that? That's why we haven't made that movie yet understanding that sort of timeline helps make sense of the idea of quote-unquote left behind. Because it's not that we're taken out so the world can really face the bad stuff amongst themselves. No, they face the really bad stuff. What's the really bad stuff? Judgment. Don't fear people who can kill the body and after that have no power. I'll tell you who you should fear. You should fear him who after he kills the body has the authority to send one to hell. The greatest fear should be not the judgment of us, who cares if I'm mad at you? Care if God is mad at you. Second Peter again, go back to chapter 3. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed with burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens, new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is why we also made the point earlier about time. One of the reasons we get this wrong, I think, is we think in time. So we think sequentially. So there's judgment coming, right? Jesus is coming back. 
the church will be removed, then evil will occur, right? That's a linear thinking. Now, who thinks linearly? We do. We're people. Who does not think linearly? God. He is outside of time. We live in the timeline. So it's now. Today is the 31st. Tomorrow will be the first. Then we'll have the second. You know, we can't go this way, right? We can't go back to the 30th. We can't go back to the 29th. That is gone. No. God does not live in our timeline. He lives above it. Best way I've had this explained to me, this will blow your brain when you think about it, but it's, it's 1875 and it's 2020 in the mind of God. He can look down and it's 1875, it's 2020, it's 229, it's 2742. It's all of those things in one moment. This is one of the reasons why God could forgive and pass over the sins previously committed in the Old Testament. Because the promise of Christ had been given, God was going to deliver it, so in the mind of God, the sacrifice of Christ covers that. Because he doesn't have to wait for it to be fulfilled. We do. He does not. There's our difference. Don't do not fall into the trap of thinking about God's work in time only. We are in time. He is not. So I think the, I think the, uh, the eschatology I am presenting, and again, if you would like to disagree with me on this, God bless you, you are more than welcome. I will not try to convince you that you are wrong and that I am right unless you try to convince me first. You are more than welcome. Just remember, as we said last week, this is our triage. This is not primary. This is not secondary. We are like under the floor of the building. If we can, we can disagree about this one and still be friends, I hope. It's not always been the case, but I, I can hope. We have the judgment coming. Christ returns. As he is returning, his people are caught up with him. Why? So that Christ can execute his judgment upon sin, cleansing the world of sin and unrighteousness, restoring a new heavens and a new earth, so that when we land, everything is good. Make sense? <laughs> well. Seven years, 144,000. I think what you're dealing with, you have to read Revelation symbolically. You, you have to. The book itself tells you to. Um, if you go to the very first chapter of Revelation, it will tell you that this is the vision given to John by symbols. We do not take symbols literally. So if you're reading the book of Daniel, and we did this when we went through Daniel, um, if you're reading the book of Daniel and you're reading about the beast and the leopard and the thing with the bear face, you're not, you're not looking for the bear, are you? No, you're looking for something that would be as ferocious as a bear. So I think when you read, like in Revelation, we don't actually think there's going to be an actual dragon, like ordering people around and ruling the earth. No, we think it's symbolic of something else. I think it's symbolic of the systems of the world, how it operates. The 144,000 is a completely nearly impossible thing to understand because it's not tribes, it's not sons, it's a mixture of tribes and sons. So it's not speaking of a literal number of people, it's speaking of a complete number of God's people. So you have the 12 tribes, the perfection of the thousand carried out. You have that same idea. The seven years of tribulation, congratulations, I think you're predominantly living in it because I think it's the way we make most sense of this world. Satan is bound so as not to deceive the nations, meaning if we preach the gospel, what will happen? people will be saved. What are we seeing in this world, even to this day? If we preach the gospel, what happens? The kingdom grows and it has continued. I think that tribulation is the, what explains disease and pestilence and the, and the depravity of man that we are seeing on display day by day. I think the cure for that is the gospel of Christ and the coming of his kingdom. It just hasn't happened yet.
Hopefully we answer the question. Hopefully that makes sense. If not, you are more than welcome to argue with me afterwards about it. I'm okay with that. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief. Now, why are we not in darkness? This is where we rewind to the work of Christ. John 10. Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So because of that, we are not in darkness. We do not fear that day, which is why we don't need to be written about it, and we don't need to know when it is because we're not worried about it. We do what we do every single day because that is who we are as God's people. So we live in expectation of his kingdom, being faithful disciples, being sanctified each and every day. Verse 5, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. How? How is that the case? 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if you notice, we're explaining both of these verses with quotes from John, one from his gospel, one from his first epistle. John, once again, did not pull these ideas out of thin air. John chapter 12. Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Now connect this. What did Jesus teach the crowds if they would follow after him? What were they? He is the light, but what would they be? What did he tell them? You are the light of the world. Congratulations, Christian. You're not in darkness. You are not, will not, and cannot be in the darkness if you are in Christ. No matter how bad the world may be, you are walking in and bearing the light of Christ in you everywhere you go. This is why we don't fear. This is why you rewind throughout human history. Christians run towards catastrophe. They stand firm in the face of pestilence and disease and famine and all that stuff because they are not worried about what might overtake them because the worst thing that could overtake them in this world is a physical death. And that is not what they fear. They have removed fear because they are grounded in Christ. Now, you might be asking Paul, I know this, so what? Verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. This is the punchline. This is what the knowledge, this is, the, this is where we move the transition for, between knowledge, and cross over here, to wisdom. Knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the stuff that you know. The goal of Christian living is to be wise in this world, not to be knowledgeable in this world. If you can ace a Bible trivia game, but you have no idea how to live your life day in and day out, we've missed something and we have failed in our function. This is how we do it. We are not sleeping as the others, but we are alert. We are sober, doing the hard work of discipleship. Romans 13. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, for now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. 
Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now, if you would prefer that exact same quote in the Cliff Notes version of fall, Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So when you see evil going on over there, go, that's evil, I'm going to be over here. This is one of those things, you're, if you've been watching your news, you notice predominantly when the riots are occurring? Like, they occurring at 11 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> they occurring at 9 a.m. after breakfast? No. Like, I'm, I'm falling asleep watching the news, waiting for it to get really bad, and by, by 10, 11 o'clock, I'm asleep, and you know what hadn't happened yet? All this rioting I keep seeing on the news the next morning. When is it occurring? It's like with your parents. Remember, did you have your parents give you that same lecture? Nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> You're like, yes, I've been vindicated after all these years of telling this to my children. There's a reason why we conflate evil with darkness. This is what Jesus said. All those who are evil hate the light because their deeds are done in darkness. But what? Those who despise the darkness go what? They run to the light because there their deeds will be exposed. Christian, this is what we do. We go to the light. Why? Because we want the world to see what we're doing and how we're living. Why? Because we're not afraid of it. Because we're living for Christ. If we're not, congratulations, you just found the sin area you need to repent of and start working on. You just, you just found it. Like, Well, this is the part of my life I want to leave over here in the dark that nobody can see. Awesome! We just found your sin that you need to be killing. Now, what weapons do we need? Where did you hide them? And how do we get to work? Because this is part of the one another. This is part of how we do this, is when you struggle, we walk together. When I struggle, we walk together. And when we see a problem, we don't wait for the DOT to fix it. We get out our tools, and we make the road right so that we can continue down the pathway that we have chosen. That's the difference. And we do this consistently and constantly. Verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Real quick, I know I don't have to say this, but I'm going to anyway. This is a metaphor. It is a comparison. It is not an excuse to day drink. Just saying this out loud. So don't, if you come away from this, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 says people get drunk at night. That means if I get drunk at the daytime, it's okay. No, no. Paul did not say that. I did not say that. Nobody said that. This is a comparison. Verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So in other words, instead of joining up with the world and walking lockstep with them, we have been girded and prepared. This is one of those um, Bible phrases. You see this like, Job complains for 800 chapters, or at least it just, it just feels like 800 chapters. And then God shows up, and what's the first thing he says? Gird up your loins like a man. What he literally tells him is, put your belt on. Men, you know what that means, right? At some point, you reach a point where your dad was like, you are wearing a belt. Why? Because you're a man, and that's what men do. You put on a belt, and you wear it. You have now girded yourself so that you can go to work. Why do we do these things? Because they're fashionable and they match our shoes? No! It's so that when you're doing something, your pants don't fall off. That's the whole purpose of a belt. When you're a man, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to have things to do. Therefore, you should do what? Be about the business of doing them. Christian, 
This is what the Holy Spirit does. He has girded us. We have put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We are prepared for battle. No one should be preparing for battle, seeing the enemy and going, I'm out. No, this is what we trained for. This is what I got dressed to do this morning. So let's go that way, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Catch the analogy here. What is, what is Paul getting on about? If you're going to make something and I'm going to come along with a blowtorch, would you like the gold and the silver or the wood and the straw? You're going to choose your materials to build with. When you're done, I'm taking the blowtorch, I'm covering it in kerosene, and I'm lighting it. Would you like the wood and the straw? No, no one would. Give me, give me something that holds up a little bit here. That's what Paul's going on about. You are presenting your life a living sacrifice, Romans 12. You are going to stand before God and say, this is what I have done. What is the judgment going to do? It's going to cleanse everything with fire. What is the goal of our lives? To have built with as much wood, straw, and hay as possible? No, it's to have built things that are eternal in value. If you want to know what this looks like in practice, read Ecclesiastes. This is what Solomon's point is. I got all this stuff, and it's going to face a judgment, and who cares? I'm going to work myself to death for 80 years, and I'm going to die, and some numbskull's going to inherit it and do who knows what with it. Or I'm going to give it to somebody who's smart, and I'm going to enjoy it. No, you're going to be dead. Dead people don't enjoy things, typically. Not even in zombie movies. Like, Have you ever seen a happy zombie? See? Dead people don't enjoy things. That's why there are no happy zombies. There you go. This is, this is incontrovertible proof <laughs> of something. Probably my own insanity. This is what the punchline gives you. This is how the armor of God finishes. Because if you notice, did anybody have that thought? Huh. Breastplate, faith, love, helmet. That's Ephesians 6. Well, go to verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We actually are doing these things. We are putting on the armor of God. We are preparing ourselves for battle, not so we can sit over there and not do anything, so that we can march and walk and battle our sin and the darkness as bearers of the light. So 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. There's your therefore. We do not fear this day that 1 Thessalonians 5 is talking about. We don't fear it. Why not? Go back to the example I gave earlier, John chapter 3. For God so loved the world, you know this part, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Keep reading. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. And all of this is true, not because of the greatness of us or the goodness of our work, 
but because of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. The end of that chapter, John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but who died but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Or again, if you would prefer Cliff Notes' version of Paul, Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, what he's saying there is not, I'm going to live and get Christ. No, you're living because you have Christ. See, we do not do good works so that God will be happy with us. We do not do good works so that the world will think well of us. We do not do good works to secure our place in God's kingdom. We do good works because God is already pleased with us in Christ. We do good works as a testimony to the world that we are now different in Christ. We do our good works because our place in the kingdom is already secured by the work that he has already done. We're there. We're good. Therefore, I live for the one who has saved me. So for to me, to live is Christ. To live is to serve. And if in the midst of that serving, it costs me everything that this world would hold dear, hold dear, hold dear. Oh my goodness, English, it's such a fun language. Have I lost anything? No, I've lost absolutely nothing. If I lose everything that this world holds dear, all my wealth, all my joy, everything that they would have me do in this world, I lose my very life. What have I gained? I've gained the kingdom. They can't touch me anymore. They can't hurt me any longer. This is why Christians have run towards the calamity, because they are not afraid of what lies on the other side, because they know it is Christ that lies on the other side, and they know that they are his. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. This is, this is the goal of the church. This is why it was important that at some point we get back together. We get back to being the people. I mean, we lie to ourselves really well because here's what we do, right? Got one of these. I can talk to people on the other side of the planet with like a couple of button clicks. Do I? (laughs) How many times have you said, I need to call so-and-so? And it's and this thing is attached to your hip, and then days go by, and you know what you haven't done? You, you, you didn't call so-and-so. You didn't send a text message. You didn't send an email. You didn't go through any of the 17 messenger apps that you have on your phone. You didn't do any of it. Why? Because it was easy. And there was something else, and there was shiny object over here. We can be connected but it's not the same thing as being a people together. I mean, Bob and Carolyn were almost every week connected to the live stream. It's not the same thing, is it? <laughs> you guys weren't. It's, it's cool. You can get some stuff done, but it's not the same thing. Kelly was on there just about every week. It's, it's not quite the same thing, is it? It's just, it's just not the same. Yes, I can call people. Yes, we can send out letters and but it's not the same as seeing people and talking to them and knowing. This is what we do. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. See, Paul throws that last bit in there because what do we know about this church? It's faithful. It's good. This is a good church that has been caught up in something hard. So what is Paul doing? Here's the truth. Here's what's coming. Now, in the light of that knowledge, do what you've been doing. Verse, uh, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had to you. And how you turn to God from idols, to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescued us from the wrath to come. See, they belong to Christ, and because they belong to Christ, they are secure in God. And because they are secure in God, there is nothing that they should fear and nowhere that they should hide. And because of that, they are prepared and able to do the hard work of discipleship. And because they are able to do this work, Paul, Christ, Every other good Bible teacher down through the ages has compelled them to do that work. Remember, which direction is our Christian walk always going? Forward. And how is that march accomplished? Is it a nice, easy downhill slide? I missed it. I heard it going, and I didn't get my hand there in time. Is it a nice, easy, relaxed, you know, stroll through the woods, nice, even ground? No. Every single step forward is which way? Up. We are climbing. And this is, again, why we encourage one another. The more we get fragmented, the more we are a part of the world, the more we are feeding ourselves with the things that are going on, the more we align with that darkness. I've had these moments the last two weeks. I see videos of people rioting, and it's just like, I'm, I'm angry about it. And then I see videos of police officers reacting, and I'm, I'm angry about it. It's like, Why? Because what am I feeding? I'm feeding my hatred. I'm feeding my flesh. I'm feeding the things about me that I'm supposed to be killing. One of the ways that we're strengthened for that is this. Believe it or not, it does me probably more good than it does you each and every week to stand here and do this. Because it reminds me of where we're going and what we're doing. And it forces me to do that work throughout the week to prepare for this. Because if we don't, we're in big trouble. And what we start doing is we start building with our hay and our straw and our wood. And then we run it into the incinerator and going, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be awesome. Watch this. No. No, it's not. It's going to go in wood, hay, and straw, and it's going to come out nothing. <laughs> Just, and it's gone. We can't do that day in and day out. Go back to First Peter 2. I urge you as aliens and strangers, notice that. How do we live in this world? We don't belong here. Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is why we have to be careful. The world doesn't have a mind to lose. They don't. I know I say it regularly. They've lost their minds. No, they haven't. They, they never had one. They can't do the evaluation because they do not have a foundation. It's like standing in a swamp and going, I'm going to stand on top. What's going to happen every time you jump on top of the mud? <laughs> yeah, 
No, you got to build a structure. You got to anchor down. That's what the gospel does. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers for. And that's the grid that Christ builds for us. We have the structure and we're looking out going, no, no, build. See, we can't even tell them to build. You know what we do? Come here. Look, see, firm, isn't it? And some of them are going to jump back in. And that's okay. It's not okay, but we can't stop them. All we can do is keep grabbing and pulling people out. And the way we do it is by confronting them, not up here. See, the problem isn't, the problem isn't, we'll stop burning down buildings. Why does burning down buildings help? Believe it or not, the answer is not, well, arrest that cop and justice will be done. No, the problem is, why does he think that was good behavior in the first place? See, it's not here. It's down there at the foundation. And we spend too much time redoing the drapes and moving the window from this side to that side and painting the door a different color and not enough time actually putting in girders. And that's what we have to be about. What you're seeing in the world is not about a police officer. It's not about race. It's not even about anger. It's just about hatred in the heart for themselves, for this world, and for the system that they know is broken and have no means by which to fix. That was the 16, 31, and 46-year-old. He's telling the 16-year-old, figure out a better way. He can't, not with the tools you've given him. Church, we have those tools. There is a better way, and it starts by getting your focus off of this place and upon a kingdom that endures the fire of the judgment of God, and that's the kingdom that he is building. Reconciliation is not possible from a worldly perspective. It is only possible from a heavenly-minded perspective that is looking towards the kingdom of God and fearing the judgments that will come for those who are outside that gate. And if we are not proclaiming that and pointing people to a hope in Christ, then we are not pointing them to any hope at all. Which is why, unfortunately, I think if you turn your news on tonight, you know what you're going to see? Yeah, you're going to see the same thing you've seen for the last couple of days because do you know what's not on any of these conversations? The gospel. There's no one coming out and saying, here's what's wrong and here is what is right. And until that happens and until this world hears it, we are going to see this. This is why Jesus warned us, what? There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be pestilence and plague and famine. Don't go running off after false Christs. But no, those are the birth pangs. I'm coming back. This is why we persevere. He has not forsaken. He's going to return. And all of that evil, when they won't listen and they won't turn away from it and they just keep going, God will handle that. God will judge that. Sin will be dealt with. And this kingdom of Christ will be secure. And that's where we look. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have not forsaken, that you have not forgotten, and that your kingdom is good. We thank you for the mercies that you give us, the ability that we can still get together as your people, that in the midst of tragedy and tribulation, that we have a hope and a security that the world does not comprehend. Lord, strengthen us. 
prepare us to do the work that as we have opportunity, we would proclaim that great salvation, that the hope that we have would become the hope that they have, that the hope that they need will be found in you, that your word would spread, your kingdom would grow, and your name would be praised. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Marketplace is empty, no more traffic in the streets. All the builder tools are silent, no more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors in a courtroom, no debate. Work on earth has been suspended as the king comes through the gate. Happy faces line the hallways, those who lived have been Broken homes that he has mended, those from prison he has freed. Little children and the aged in an instant all aglow. Who were crippled, broken, ruined, chatting garments white as snow. The king is coming, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and soon his face I'll see. The King is coming, the King is coming, praise God, He's coming for me. I can hear the chairs rumble, I can see the marching throne, and the flurry of God's trumpet fell the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding, heaven's grandstand all in place. Heaven choirs now assembled, start to sing amazing grace. The King is coming, the King is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and soon his face I'll see. The King is coming, the King is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. Oh, the King is coming, the King is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and soon his face I'll see. The King is coming, the King is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. Praise God, he's coming for me. Excellent reminder. That's how we live. Let's pray. Lord, again, as we leave this place, strengthen us to do the work that you have called us to do, building not our own kingdom, but yours, where we will dwell in safety, secure from all disease and all danger, knowing that you have overcome. Lord, hasten to that day and strengthen us until it comes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>